Let's open our Bibles together this morning to the book of Deuteronomy. And before we go any further, I do just want to say how awesome it is to be back in Hope Church and to be back with you guys. As Graham said so well, we had an incredible experience in the Holy Land. Getting to go to Israel is something I've dreamed of my whole life and had no idea how much it would impact me. And I'll share with you what I shared with a group of pastors. We had about 38 pastors over there with us on this trip. And the final night I shared with them that I think the thing, there's a long list, but the thing that made the biggest impact on me is the fact that every location, every spot we went, every historical site, every scripture reference we talked about, it placed my focus back on Jesus. It literally turned my eyes upon Christ as I thought about what he would have said and what he did. I had the opportunity to stand on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and preach a sermon about how awesome Jesus is and how he's always there for us in the storms of life and that even though the storms of life come and try to derail us from what God has planned for our lives. The storms aren't the focus. The storms aren't a worry to God. The storms come in life, but he has bigger plans in the storms. He was headed to the other side to deliver a man from bondage, from the power of Satan, to give him eternal life, to give him hope. And that was happening no matter what happened in the storm. That storm, there's not a storm big enough to stop Jesus. And to be able to stand and share there in Israel was just an amazing privilege and blessing, but my mind kept coming back here because I saw where Jesus made this incredible impact on his culture and where the church was born, but then to be able to look back through church history and see how it spread out literally throughout the world, through the four corners of the globe, as they say, and to see the power of the gospel and the power of God's promises how unlikely was it that 12 fishermen and tax collectors and just ordinary everyday guys would turn the world upside down with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? They were the underdogs. They were the ones that nobody thought would make a difference. And even one of the rabbis in Jesus' time said, if this is nothing, it will go away. But if this is a work of God, we probably shouldn't fight against it because God's will is going to be accomplished. So it was amazing seeing what God's doing there, but also to know that he's placed us here together in this location for such a time as this. And there are people that he wants to be delivered here. There are people he wants to be saved here in Asheville. And I'm so thankful that he is just as much God as he was when he was telling the storm, peace be still. He's just as much God today as he was when he was healing the blind man or the lame man or bringing the widow's son back to life, conquering death. He's just as much God today as he was when he died on the cross and when he rose from the grave. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful to be here this morning to open God's word together with you. And we're going through a study of all 66 books of the Holy Bible, doing an overview every single week. And this week we're wrapping up the Pentateuch, the very first section in the, the Bible in the Old Testament, the first five books were written by Moses, and we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy 
today. And just by some conversations I've had this week as I was studying through this with pastors and with just uh, church members, there were not a lot of people I talked to that knew very much about the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm not going to make anyone raise your hands, but just think yourself right now before I preach this sermon, how much has Deuteronomy made an impact on your life? How much have you studied Deuteronomy? Is, should we even study it? What is, what is the, the implication for us as Christians today? John MacArthur wrote that the English title Deuteronomy comes from a mistranslation um, when the Latin translation of God's word, and it basically means the second law. But God isn't writing a second law in this. He's basically having Moses, his, sermon, his, his servant, repeat the law of God. And the Hebrew title for this book is the first two words that we find in the book. And in Hebrew, it's these are the words. So Moses is repeating and explaining God's law that God had already given and reminding the people of it for their past and for their future. So Deuteronomy was written around 1406, 1400 years before Christ came. And it was at the end of the 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Uh, remember that the Israelites had a chance to come out of the, the bondage in Egypt and go straight into the promised land after God had given the law on Sinai, but they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God and God punished them and that entire generation died in 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. And the people were camped on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, Graham and I were just at the Dead Sea a few days ago, and I was studying this and thinking about it that morning as we look across the Dead Sea, you can see the other side of the Jordan. You can see where Jericho is. You can see Mount Nebo where Moses was taken up by God to see the promised land. He wasn't allowed to enter in. And as we stood there and just looked at the site, it was amazing thinking this is the stage where God played out the drama of the history of redemption. This is the canvas where God painted his most beautiful story ever. And we got to be there. We got to see it with our own eyes, but they were on the verge of entering into the promised land, the land that God had promised to deliver to them centuries earlier to their forefathers in Genesis 12, and then in um, verses 1, verse 6, and verse 9, and then other places throughout the first five books of the Bible. But God was giving them the command to go in and conquer the land, and in this book, we're going to see that Moses reiterated the covenant with God because there's some things that the people needed to be reminded of and they needed to know. So Moses reviews the events of how God delivered them by his mighty hand, by the plagues out of Egypt, which was miraculous. It was amazing how God declared his sovereignty over the false gods of Egypt. And then they go through the wilderness and he reminds them of their failures, but he also reminds them of the future that God has for them. So this book, Deuteronomy, contains Moses' final sermons. We believe that there are three sermons contained in this book. So it's a little bit different than Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers because those are more narrative storytelling. Well, here's Moses actually preaching his final sermons 
to God's people, and it ends with two prophetic poems about Israel's future. There's so much that we have to learn in the book of Deuteronomy. So in this book, Moses is urging Israel to trust and obey God in order to conquer the land that he had promised them. In this book, we see highlights of God's uniqueness, God's power over other armies and other nations, his grace and his faithfulness. Moses reminds the people that God promised this land to them and it is God's gift. But multiple times in this book, he reminds them that they don't deserve it, that they didn't earn it, that it wasn't something that they had, that they were entitled to, but that it was just God's grace that blessed them. He told them that the land was full of good things, but he continually goes back to the importance of God's law that was given at Mount Sinai. And a huge section of this book is reiterating and repeating and reciting the law Reminding the people so that they're without excuse. I told you when we studied through the book of Leviticus two weeks ago that God clearly gives us what he expects. God doesn't give us vague instructions and then expect us to read his mind. He knows we're not capable of that. Sometimes we're barely capable of reading his clear instructions in scripture and doing what he says and obeying them. But he clearly spells out his instructions. And in the law, I want to remind you that it's wide ranging. We don't have time to go through all of the law this morning. I will briefly mention the Ten Commandments, but I want to remind you there are like 618 commandments in the Old Testament where God clearly spells out what he expects, but it's a wide ranging view of all areas of life. Economics, God has something to say about that. Family, Sexual relationships, God has a lot to say about that. Religious observance, leadership, justice, guidance, food, property, welfare. God speaks into all these areas of life. So let's look at the importance of the book of Deuteronomy. As we enter into this, I want you to think of the books we just covered, especially Leviticus, Leviticus emphasized the role of the priests. Remember, it was all the sacrifices and all the things the priests had to do, how they had to dress, how they had to go in, all the furniture in the tabernacle, every single detail of what God expected. But it was all focused on the priest because the priests represented the people to God. But the book of Deuteronomy is different. It is focused on the role of the people. And there's a lot of incredible applications for us in the book of Deuteronomy because we need to think about, about our role. Yes, God accomplished our salvation on the cross and rising from the dead. Yes, Jesus did it all. It was God's plan. He accomplished it. He offered it to us. But as God's redeemed people, as saved people, he expects us to obey him, to trust him, to live for him. And as we're going to see, it goes a lot deeper than just outward performance or outward obedience. It's focused on our heart. We're called to obey him from a heart of love. Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon on the same topic, believing and obeying always run side by side. Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He also adds that in the new covenant, 
through salvation, we're saved not by works of the law, but the blessings that are promised to obedience are not denied to us as God's faithful servants as we live in obedience. The curses were taken away by Christ on the cross. He took our curse. He took our punishment on himself. He was made a curse for us. But none of the blessings of God were taken from us. As a matter of fact, more of God's blessings were given to us through Christ. So in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, under the old covenant, Moses declares that God brought them out in order to bring them in and to give them a land. That's the old covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So in the old covenant, it was all about a land. In the new covenant, it's all about what? Life. It's about us experiencing the life that God called us to live in Jesus Christ. He said he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the Old Testament, it was a land. In the New Testament, it's life. So we need to ask ourselves, are we living the life that God's called us to live? Are we living the, the redeemed life that he saved us and changed us to live? I also want you to see the importance of this book is seen in the fact that it's a transition book. We're moving from one stage of God's story into a new stage. He transitions to a new generation. The disobedient generation died off in the wilderness because they rejected God. They rejected his blessings because of fear. And they were a complaining generation. But this generation transitions into a season of victorious conquering of the land. There's a transition into a new possession. Transition into a new experience, a new life. Think about it. They were going to live in houses that they didn't build. Eat from vineyards that they didn't plant. They had been living in the wilderness, living in tents. They're going into a new phase of life and a new experience. They were settled rather than wandering in the wilderness. They were in the land of milk and honey rather than eating the manna, which I'm sure was amazing. But if you eat your favorite meal every single day, for about 40 years, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get real tired of that meal. So I'm sure these people were excited about this land of milk and honey. We also see a transition in this book that is so important. It's a transition into a new revelation of God, specifically of God's love. Genesis through Numbers, the first four books just briefly hint, just barely a handful of times mention love. Go back and read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way up to Deuteronomy, and you just see some hints. Eleazar, Abraham's servant, as he goes to get a wife for Isaac, he mentions that God has love. And then Moses mentions it, and then God says when he's given him the law in Exodus that he is a God who loves to a thousand generations. So it's just barely mentioned, just a foreknowledge, just a hint of God's love. But in the book of Deuteronomy, we see this theme is absolutely the theme of the book of Deuteronomy. It's about God's love for us and about our love for him. Think about the wonderful words that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 37. Think of the people of Israel hearing for the first time how God feels towards them. Because he loved your fathers, 
Therefore, he chose their descendants after them, and he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. But he set his love upon you because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out of a mighty hand, out by a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So God's love for us and for his people, Israel, is the focus of this book. But there's a transition we're going to see that he talks about their love for him. And he tells them how to love him. So the key words in this book, I'm not going to read all of these, but some of the, some of the important ones. Heart is mentioned 49 times in 45 verses. Love is 24 times in 23 verses. Listen, obey, observe keep, remember, command, covenant, blessings, curses. And then the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord spoke, the Lord will do this. Time after time after time, we see these words repeated. And the most common is the phrase, the Lord your God, which reminds us that as we focus on him, he leads us where we need to go. As we focus on Him, we love Him more. As we focus on Him and not our problems, He delivers us. Over 279 times in 239 verses, the phrase, the Lord your God. And then the Lord our God is 22 times in 21 verses. So the key themes of the book of Deuteronomy, think about this. First of all, God's uniqueness, how God is different than all the other false gods. We live in a world, a culture, a society that's full of idolatry. We worship money. We worship sex. We worship music. We worship celebrities. We worship careers and power, popularity, all these different things that we worship and our culture exalts and values above all things. And all those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. Many of them are great gifts from God, but when we exalt them over God and that becomes our God, that's idolatry. So he reminds the people of how unique their God is. He's not a God that is carved by human hands. He's not a God that is made out of metal or cast by the silversmith. He is the God that created everything, the God that spoke everything into existence, the God that is alive and is with them, his presence is guiding them into all that he has for them. He speaks of their election as God's chosen people. God chose them, he said, not because of anything special in you, but I chose you because I loved you. I set my love upon you and I decided to do something great through you. And when I remember when I was a child, it bothered me a little bit that they were God's chosen people. Anybody else in here? Every time I would hear that Israel was God's chosen people, it's like I grew up my whole life hearing that no one else is any more special than anybody else, and I just didn't know what to do that. And one day it was in a sermon. Somebody was preaching, and it dawned on me. When you go back to Abraham's, uh, the covenant God made with Abraham, he told him, I'm blessing you so that through you I can bless all the nations of the world. God had chosen them in order to bless us, in order to bless all the nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, through Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the covenant. 
So he talks a lot about that. He talks about the land's goodness, God's faithfulness and how he keeps his promises, God's power to defeat enemies in the land. If anybody in here is struggling with an with a enemy, with something you don't know how to overcome, go back and see how God, faith, how God was faithful in the book of Deuteronomy. And remind yourself, as Moses reminds them, he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. The exhortation to love, serve, fear, and obey God. Warnings against idolatry. And instructions for how to properly worship God and how to love God. He reminds them of the impacts of God's laws. And ultimately, leading up at the very end of this book, after the sermons and the poems and songs that Moses writes about God to instruct the people, God takes him up to Mount Nebo, shows him the land, and then Moses dies. So we see the end of his life, and the Bible tells us how Moses was the most important prophet in the Old Testament. Think of all the things that God did in his life. And yet we're seeing the end of this man, his mistakes, his failures, his successes, all the mighty works that God did through his hand, all the words that he wrote, his desire to see God and how he saw him face to face and how he wanted to see his glory and how he declared, we're not going to go into the land if you won't go with us because all we care about is your presence with us. All of these things that we see in Moses' life. Yet it's time to transition to a new leader. The subtitle for this book could be a farewell instruction for a nation. And the two major events that we see are Moses' final words, his final sermons, and then the passing of leadership from Moses to Joshua. So this is a succession narrative. One leader goes off the scene and a new leader comes on the scene. Put yourself in the place of the Israelites. Imagine losing Moses. Imagine the fear, the uncertainty for the future. There's no way anyone could ever fill those shoes. Yet we see that the next leader, Joshua, God's going to do things in his life that Moses never got to do. Because God is telling a story. He's writing a story and it's being unfolded and the focus is never on man. The focus is always what God is doing through his people. So let's talk about the ethics in this book. This book has a lot of commandments, a lot of rules, a lot of laws. There are three different divisions of God's law for his people. The ceremonial law, the moral law, and then the judicial law. So the ceremonial and the judicial law were specifically for the Israelite people. We don't observe those laws. We don't go by the, the instructions for uh, food. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom to be found in there. And there's probably a lot we could learn from why God gave these laws to them, but they weren't specifically given to us. The New Testament is clear about that. There were people that were trying to enforce the old covenant laws on the new covenant people. And Paul had some incredibly strong words to say to those people. And as we look at the ceremonial and the judicial law, those were the ones that specifically applied to them, but the moral law still applies to us. Almost every part of the moral law was repeated in the New Testament. Almost every part of it was repeated for us through Christ and through the apostles. And we need to remember that these laws were given to us to challenge us to maintain holy lives. 
We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. And what is the mark of our difference? Yeah, Jesus. We're, we're called to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. He's, Paul said that we're to be a peculiar people. We're set apart. But what is it that makes us peculiar? Good works. We're people that are set apart. We're weird, not because we're just weird to be weird. We're weird because we're people that do good works and we're people that love like God's love. He told his disciples, he said, this world is going to know you're my disciples by one, one mark, your love for one another. And if we love one another the way that Christ loved us, this world will know that we're truly disciples of Jesus. So this is the place I really want to focus on this morning. There's a lot of facts, a lot of background, but why should we read the book of Deuteronomy? Why should we study the book of Deuteronomy? And Pastor Earl and I had a conversation this morning about how difficult it is to cover an entire book, 34 chapters, I believe, of, of all these glorious and grand things in one 30, 45 minute sermon. That's, that's difficult. But my prayer is that this will spur us to go deeper into these books, into God's words. And I heard a story one time about from the president of the Masters University, Abner Chu. And he said that someone came up to him after a sermon and he, they sincerely asked him, why should we bother to study Deuteronomy when all we really need to know is that we must love God with all of our heart? He paused and looked at this person and he said, I'm curious if you know where that commandment comes from. What book of the Bible? And the person said, I don't know. He said, it came from the book of Deuteronomy. We don't even have, we don't even know about that commandment if it weren't for this book. So it's important to go back and understand why this was written. Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in all four of the Gospels. More times than I could mention this morning. I would love to just stand up here and read all the times Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. I'm not going to do that. Don't get worried. But you can go look it up. Jesus continually quotes from the book of Deuteronomy when he was tempted by Satan. He quoted God's word. He quoted Deuteronomy to resist temptation. Don't tell me it's not important for us to be familiar with God's word. When he was summing up the law and prophets, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. When he's quoted the Ten Commandments, over and over and over and over through all four Gospels, we see him quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. When he discussed divorce, he quoted Deuteronomy. When he defined church discipline, he quoted from this book. When he reminded us that we were to fear God, he quotes from Deuteronomy. When he told us that we should live by God's word and to keep his word, he was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is not a book of obscure rules that don't apply to us today. The topic is one of the most critical issue. The topic of the book of Deuteronomy is what it means to love God. Do you want to truly understand what God expects from us when it comes to loving him? You realize in our culture, the word love has been so mixed up. We use the word love so lightly. We love our dog. We love pizza. 
We love going to trips. We love the beach. We love our wife. We love our husband. All these different things. We use the same word. And we get so confused. And then certain groups hijack the word love that God invented, that God gave to us, and they use it to teach the complete opposite of what God wants us to do. So what is love? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love our neighbor? I don't believe we can truly understand this if we don't understand the book of Deuteronomy. God tells us in his word what it truly means to love him. This is not something that we can take for granted. We need to to make sure that we're loving God the way he expects to be loved. Love is not just a feeling. Love is something that we do. Love is an action verb. And we're called to love God. Faith is foundational in love. He repeats this over and over in the book. They died in the wilderness, chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. Verse 32 tells us that they died in the wilderness because they did not believe God. Faith is foundational to love. You can't love God without first believing in Him, without believing His words. One of the greatest threats to love is forgetfulness. Over and over in this book, he tells them you forgot God, and then you sinned and you disobeyed. He's reminding them, remember. By the way, do you know what the most common commandment in the Bible is. There are a lot of commandments in the Bible. The most common commandment is to remember. Why is that? Because we forget. We forget so quickly all the things God did for us. We forget the the feelings and we're called to live out of more than feelings. We're called to live out of a heart of true obedience and to remember All God's done for us to prioritize him over everything else. Moses continually reminds the Israelites that we need to remember God and we need to teach his word to our children and to their grandchildren and to pass it down to the next generation. They did not do this as we're going to see moving forward in our study of God's word. And they fell into sin over and over and over again. Because when they were in trouble, they knew they needed God. They called on God's name. He delivered them. They obeyed him. He blessed them. And they became complacent. And they forgot how much they needed God. Then they disobeyed and they started this cycle over and over and over again. And I pray that our generation will not forget about God and his blessings, but will truly remember, truly love God and obey his commandments, and pass them on to future generations. And to teach this generation all that God did for us, all that he did in the word of God, and all that he wants to do in their lives. So what is true love for God? We see it in this book in chapter 6. Moses writes, now this is the commandment. How many commandments do we see in in the first five books of the Bible? Israel had 618 commandments. So more than we could ever spend time focusing on. They they had to memorize them by the time they were, I think, five years old or something like that. In their their culture, uh, young boys had to memorize the Torah. 
and especially the ones that were going on to be trained as rabbis. But the, command, the word commandment here is singular. He says, now this is the commandment. He's later going to discuss all of the other commandments, but he starts by addressing the single commandment. Love is the commandment that is at the heart of the law. He says these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So these verses literally shatter our perception about the law and about what it means to keep the law. At the heart of keeping the law and obeying God's commandments is love. God in the Old Testament continually in the prophets uh, condemns his people, corrects his people by telling them they didn't love him. Jesus quoted the words of Isaiah. He says, you, you obey me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. How many times as a church and as individuals do we repeat that same sin? We fall into outward performance, outward keeping of commandments and laws, which is good. We should keep them. But we can't truly keep it if we don't love God, because that's the greatest commandment is to love God. And everything else we do has to flow from a heart of love. In the book of Revelation, we see a church that was doing all these great things. But Jesus said, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. You've forgotten your love for me. You're just going through these actions, but we're disconnected. There's no intimacy. So we're called to love God. At the core of the law is love for the one true God. Living for God is loving Him. But we can't truly love Him apart from living for Him. And we can't truly live for Him if, if we don't love Him from our hearts. Loving God means to hate what God hates. This is hard for us in our culture. The Bible, as a matter of fact, Deuteronomy has some very difficult words, some very difficult commandments that I want to remind you were specifically for his people, Israel, but it reveals his heart and his sense of morality and justice and God's holiness. But as we read through this book, it, it challenges you and you're like, Mm, I don't fully understand that. But to hate what God hates is, is important. It's an important part of love. Because if we embrace what God hates, that's an act of hatred towards Him. That's why we can't worry what people think about us. We don't live our lives based on th this culture, which direction it goes. It swings back and forth like a pendulum. But we're called to focus on God's Word, to love Him. And to hate what he hates. We don't hate people. We love people. God loves sinners. He was a friend of sinners. But he told sinners the truth. And he told them that the enemy was, was lying to them. And he was destroying their lives through the lies that he was telling them. To embrace the things that God hated. Loving God means abandoning pride and self-reliance. We can't truly love God when we think we're entitled and we deserve something special from him we deserve nothing we deserve punishment we are disobedient complaining people just like the children of israel were 
We have ups and downs. The Christian life is like a roller coaster. We fail over and over and over just like Abraham and Moses and all the sons of Israel did. We consistently disobey and fail. But the Bible is about God's faithfulness, his love for us. And Jesus reminded us that it all starts with God's love. John said in, in the book of 1 John, we love because he first loved us. It starts with him. And his love is what brings us back when we stray away from him. And Moses concludes by reminding us that God ultimately requires a love that fears him and keeps his commandments. It's the same language that we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is the end of the matter. Love God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Solomon was quoting Deuteronomy when he wrote those words. That's a very large summary statement in the Bible that kind of takes all these ideas, all the commandments, puts them into one thought. Love God. Keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. And I want to challenge you this morning by asking you to think of the Ten Commandments in a different way. Because it's the way that God gave them to us. I want you to look at the Ten Commandments this morning with me as we wrap this sermon up through the lens of love. Look at the commandments through the lens of love. You shall have no other gods before me. God is the one and only true God. He alone deserves our love, our fear, our devotion, our service, and our worship. We have no other gods before him because we love him. And we clearly want to reflect through our worship his nature and how glorious he is. He is alone in the category of God. We worship him. We have no other gods before him because we love him. We, we don't make idols for ourselves. We don't make images of God. We don't worship the one true God in the way that we want to worship him. We worship him the way that he wants to be worshiped. The Israelites were trying to worship God by making an idol they could look at. Look, go back and look at their words. They were still trying to worship the one true God through an image because that's what the Egyptians did. That's what they've been seeing. And to them, it made sense. And to us, think about if there's something you can touch, something that's tangible, you can bow down before it. That's a whole lot easier than worshiping in spirit and in truth from a heart of love. But God commanded us, you can't do that. The first commandment is about who to worship. The second commandment is about how we worship him. It matters. We don't just do anything. We can't just do anything in the name of God and say, oh, it's okay because we're a new generation and we can do whatever we want. No, God's word still guides our worship. We do not take the Lord's name in vain because we treasure his name. We love his name. And it's more than just speaking his name in a wrong way. It's living a life when you've got his name stamped on your life, stamped on your heart. And this world knows you identify with Christ, yet you take his name as someone would do in marriage. And you are a Christian. You belong to Jesus. And yet you live a life under that title, under that name, in a wrong way. That's taking his name in vain. We don't do that because we love him. We value the character of God. We value how he's revealed who he is in scripture. And we must live 
consistently with how he's revealed himself. Think about the law. It was, it was on a grand scale and it was also on a very minute scale. The great things of life from things, how they handled the death of their loved ones. God gave them commandments about that. He also gave them commandments about the food they would eat and about how they would take care of private matters in their lives and in their families. Sanitation from the big things to the very small things. God cares about all of it. And we're called to live lives that show how much he loves us and how much we love him. Honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. This is a gift to mankind. We talked about this in small group. We need rest. We were made in God's image. God rested on the seventh day. And he gives us this gift not to become slaves to this commandment as the Israelites did and they focused on the wrong things, but to just relax and enjoy God's good gifts. We need it. Scientists have done studies that prove that we can get more done in six days if we take a rest than we can get done in seven days without taking a rest. It's amazing how science continually goes back and proves God's truth. Now, there are a lot of specific laws for Israel that we don't keep, but I want to remind you that Sabbath rest predated the law of God. We're told to keep the Sabbath day holy, to rest on the seventh day in the book of Genesis before God even gives the law. So it is a gift to us. Think of how much God loves us and how much more we can love Him when we're refreshed, when we're not carrying the weight of the world, when we're not burdened under busyness. Satan has bound the church of Jesus Christ in this generation through busyness. And I just want to put my hand up and say, I'm guilty. We get so busy, 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 busy. We do more than any other generation's ever done before. And we forget to love God. We need rest. Honor your father and mother. Why? Because God lovingly gives us authority in our lives that reflects his authority. And how we treat our parents is a reflection of how we treat God. The same thing for parents to children. We need to honor the relationships that God has given us. Submitting to human authority because it was given by God alone. Do not murder. In the positive sense of this commandment, we preserve life because God is a God of life. God preserves life. He puts some very high penalties on those who take life intentionally. We preserve life. We do not commit adultery. We uphold purity because God is holy. God is pure. Do not steal. Be content with what God has given you, with what He's blessed you with. And work hard for the things that, that you need and the things that you want because that's how God ordained it. Not to take things out of envy and jealousy, but to work hard to accomplish using your gifts that God has given you to accomplish what it is that He has commissioned you to do. To provide for your family. To give gifts to other people. It's more blessed to give than to receive. How can you give something that was obtained in the wrong way? How can we offer money back to God that wasn't gained in an honorable way? That aligns with his character and his commandments. 
Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. This law talks about perversion of justice. Bearing false witness against your neighbor is so much more than telling a lie. It turns the world on its head. Truth is what sustains us. In the prophets, God said that truth lies dead in the streets. And that was the reason that the society was in so much trouble. Our our society is attacking truth. We're called to tell the truth, to honor justice, and then finally, do not covet. This is a recognition again of the sovereignty of God and how he gives us good gifts. And in his infinite wisdom, he supplies all that we need. But we don't We don't measure God's love by what somebody else has. Because there's always people that have more. And as I've seen this past week, there's always people that have a lot less than us. We need to be content as the Apostle Paul was in all things, in all seasons of life. So what is love fulfilled? Love for God is more than just a feeling. We should pursue his desires in every aspect of our life think about your time your money your worship your business how you treat other people all of these areas can be an act of worship to god and how you engage in all of these activities reveals what you think of god and what you think of yourself do your actions do your words reveal a proud heart or a humble heart that wants to glorify god with your life Jesus clearly said that our obedience is connected to love. Now, a lot of us are are, are scared of this. Let's just be honest, because it sounds a lot like legalism, like we're performing to obtain God's favor. No, we have God's favor as his called people, as his chosen people. We are in Christ. We're loved by God. So we obey him out of acceptance, not to gain acceptance. Not to gain approval. We love him because he first loved us. We're already loved and accepted in him. So we obey him. Jesus clearly said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not legalism, church. That's good. That's, we're called to live holy lives. The law without love is legalism. But loving God first... And keeping his commandments is the essence. This, this old hymn, and I've, I've heard some people that don't really like it, but honestly, I love it. The old hymn, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey him. When you trust him, you will walk in obedience. So let's close out this morning by looking at the Christ connection. Moses explains to the people repeatedly in this book that in and of themselves... They can never truly love God. He tells them that in Deuteronomy 29 verse 4. He tells them over and over again that they failed in the past and that they will fail in the future. When he says, today I lay before you blessing and curse, life and death. Choose life. But then he reminds them that they will be disobedient. But he also tells them that God would one day circumcise the flesh of their hearts It's a spiritual circumcision that God would cut away the dead 
and he would give them new hearts, that he would take away the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh so that they could love him wholeheartedly. And the way he was going to do this was by raising up a prophet that was like Moses, but that was greater than Moses. We see this in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, and this is a foreshadow of Christ who is to come. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses, from among you for your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen, just as you've desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day at the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And because of that, Moses represented God to the people and the people to God. But he goes on, he says, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Who is this prophet that is greater than Moses that was going to come? It's Jesus. How do we know this? Because Jesus clearly said in John chapter 5, starting in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He goes on down in verse 45. Do you not think that... Or do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. Imagine if I stood before you this morning, read a scripture that Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy, and said, Moses was talking about me. You know what to do when I say something crazy like that? Throw me out the back door because I can't say things like that. Jesus literally looked at Moses' writings and said, Moses wrote about me. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the promised one that would be greater than Moses. He said, Moses wrote of me. And if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus' resurrection, he was walking with the disciples and they didn't recognize him. And they, they told him the story. He asked why they were so sad. They said, are you the only one in all the land of Israel that doesn't know the truth and, and doesn't know what has happened? And they tell him about Jesus, how he came, how he's persecuted, how he died. And they didn't know that he was raised from the dead yet. And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law, all the prophets, all the Old Testament, all of God's laws, all of God's commandments. They're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the book of Deuteronomy that we're studying this morning, briefly, just doing an overview, it anticipates a time when someone like Moses will ascend a mountain in order to give us a new law as Moses ascended the mountain and brought down the first law. Unlike the words of Moses, which concentrated on the curse, 
Blessings come through the Christ, through the one that's greater than Moses. And Jesus begins the discourse on the Sermon on the Mount as he's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And we had an opportunity to see that this week, this past week. Unbelievable thinking about Christ standing there, having the crowd seated and teaching his disciples and all the crowds. And he tells them what it means to be truly blessed. He's the one who brings the new covenant and makes hearts new. And he establishes this covenant through his body that is broken for our sins and through his blood that is shed so that we can have eternal life. Deuteronomy points us to a future that fulfills the love that is defined in this book. A future that is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So for our application this morning, how do we apply this to our lives? What can we walk away with this morning? First of all, we love God because he first loved us. We're called to love God. We're commanded to love God. We can't do anything else towards God that's good unless we love Him. But we can only love Him because He first loved us. Yet how much did He love us? He loved us all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave. And He loved us enough to rise from the dead, conquer all of our greatest enemies so that we could be saved. The second thing I want us to remember in application is that we must love his word. Church, there's not a book in the Bible that we don't need to know, that we don't need to love, that we don't need to be familiar with, that we can't learn something from. We must love his word, and we must trust and obey. If you love him, you'll trust him. If you trust him, you will walk in obedience to his word. And when we walk in obedience from a heart of love, that's when we experience all the blessings. And at church, I'm not preaching health, wealth, prosperity. God's blessings on your life may be you suffering greatly for Him so that your life can be used to glorify Him in a way that you never could have imagined. Think of all the stories of great Christians throughout history. Think of how much the Apostle Paul suffered for Jesus Christ. And his life was used to bring us into the family of God. Apart from the writings of the Apostle Paul, would any of us be Christians in here this morning? Would we even understand the gospel without the words in the book of Romans? So we need to trust him and obey him. And that takes a life of continual repentance because we are a people that forget. We're a people that wander. But he's always there. He's faithful when we're unfaithful. He welcomes us back when we stray away. And he's the one, he's the shepherd that pursues us when we run from him and that loves us and that welcomes us back into his blessings. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the book of Deuteronomy. Lord, I feel the weight of having to explain and walk through this book and such a short amount of time. And God, I, I pray that I've honored you and how I've presented your word. And Lord, I pray that seeds would be planted in our hearts to truly study and know and understand what it means to love you. And to God, be just full of gratitude for how much you loved us. We did not deserve it. 
yet you loved us. Lord, you loved us in the greatest way possible. You came to this earth to be with us, to die for our sins, to rise from the grave so that we could have eternal life. And God, I pray that we would not be a people that would keep that to ourselves, but that we would share the good news everywhere we go because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Please plant this deep in our hearts and bring forth fruits in our lives. May we love you more because of what we heard today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.